Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. It's a Monday morning edition and Father Lewis, just the two of us. Let's go. All right. I'm ready. Are you ready? Oh, you think you're ready, Father. (laughs) You actually have no idea what's coming for you. I have a series of questions for you that uh, I asked to Father John Ricardo. Oh, you, you're just you just elevated to rare air. So I've, I've had a, some interesting, a couple interesting uh, interview programs with him where I just throw him questions that are out of the ordinary that I think, frankly, are interesting, and I want you to answer them. That's what we're going to do today on the program. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. Father Lewis is in fear and trepidation, so he's going to pray <laughs> just so that we start with the right spirit, and he receives the anointing of the Lord to be able to answer questions with profundity, insight, and concision. How's that? That sounds good. Let's go for Hope that. Hope I can live up to it. Nice. <laughs> so our scripture passage will come from First Letter of St. Peter, chapter 3, verses three, 13 to 17. Now, who is going to harm you if you are enthusiastic for what is good? But even if you should suffer because of righteousness, blessed are you. Do not be afraid or terrified with fear of them, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope. But do it with gentleness and reverence, keeping your conscience clear, so that when you are maligned, those who defame your good conduct in Christ may themselves be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that be the will of God, than for doing evil." Good and gracious God, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon us this morning, and that our minds and hearts may be open to your will, that we may always be prepared to give a reason for the explanation of the hope that you have given us that reside in our hearts, the hope of the resurrection and your eternal glory. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Well, Father, I'm going to start off with, uh, uh, before we dive into those kinds of questions, I'm going to share with you a situation, and then you give me what your thoughts are about how you um, handle that or recommend that, and that is emails that are critical, Mm. messages, phone calls, communications that are critiquing you and saying, you were wrong, and you say you're a Christian, and you (laughs) did that? That was wrong, and I'm offended. How do you handle that? Well, I'm going to read an email, not the whole email. There was an email that um, someone sent to me and someone on my team related to communication. And so uh, I have um, like these rental properties. And so they were trying to apply and I get way more communication, right? So I've got all these folks communicating to me saying, Call me back. I want to apply. I want to see the property. And I'm a busy guy trying to see. You see what I'm doing already? (laughs) You're explaining yourself. (laughs) Rationalizing. Am I rationalizing? Am I I explaining? What am I doing here? 
And so uh, I was surprised not to hear back from you. I'm kind of cutting it really short. I wanted to point out how very disappointing and unprofessional my interaction with Tom was, especially after reading and viewing all of his rave online reviews. Um, and then he just basically said he was ghosted by me and uh, nothing but silence and how I'm unlike anybody else that he's dealt with. Everyone else has been responsive to him, other potential landlords. And, uh, and it's, I found it ironic that he ends his voice message with God bless. And then as conservative Christians, it gave me hope that my wife and I'd be working with individuals dedicated to their work and assisting newcomers to their area, especially those of us very anxious to leave the crazy and out of control state of Washington, right? Okay, how do you respond to that? Okay, how would I respond to that? Well, initially I'd be, um, I know myself well enough to know that I'd be responding with, um, you know, my hair gristling and all this other <laughs> stuff, like, how dare you? And uh, and I'd be, in, at least in my mind and heart, be, be justifying myself. But hopefully if I can just come to a place of peace after that, and I know I do this as well, and this is what I recommend to people, like in spirit direction or other things, is um, what can you identify in, in the midst of that, that that speaks somehow to the truth of the matter? And then um, I read this great book one time uh, called Extreme Ownership, and it was written by a couple of, uh, a couple of um, uh, Navy SEALs, I think. Um, and anyway, then they went on to train Navy SEALs, and now they run their own... Um, um, sort of the, consulting, yeah, consulting, company. leadership yeah. consulting, yeah, and uh, they run podcasts and everything else. So I read this book, and a great deal of what makes for good leadership is to just uh, to just own whatever faults or failings may have happened in your organization, even if you yourself had nothing to do with that. The fact that you're the leader of that organization means that there was some kind of breakdown, and you could have been uh, you could have been a part of the solution to that before it happened or whatever. But to take ownership of it. Um, not to let yourself be a doormat, but to just accept where maybe leadership has broken down. So that's where I would uh, go next. And then what I know I do is reach, then it becomes um, top priority, get back to this person. And I would say, you know, whatever I identified as I need to apologize for this or the other thing, to reach out to them and try to mend those those uh, fractures. And I would I would guess a, a certain majority of, peop- of people that, I reach out to in that manner when this uh, comes up will will respond in kind and then and then we've mended the nets as it were and we can move forward. Mm-hmm. It, it it seems to work pretty well, but anyway, right. that's kind of the sequence I know I go through. Well, let me give you my email response. Okay, okay. this is what I so I I did not res- the guy did call and in text and email and called again and left messages and I just had higher priorities. Mm-hmm. I had I had so many things to do. Mm-hmm that were higher priority, that getting back to him just wasn't, it wasn't on, high on my list sure. just because I had no connection to him other than he was interested in seeing a property. Sure. Yeah. So I responded to him early in the morning. I said, first, right out of the gate, please forgive me. I failed to respond to you as I said I would. I do not have an excuse. I'm asking for mercy from a fellow Christian. I do not have an excuse, but I will offer you an explanation. 
I'm extraordinarily busy right now serving existing clients and buying and selling homes along with the work I do in ministry and attempting to be present as a husband and father to eight of my kids who are home for the summer. I do not have enough hours in the day to respond to every communication I receive. I hope you can understand that this is the reason for my lack of communication. I had no ill will or bad intentions towards you. And then I talked a little bit about the, um, the, the, the rental property. And then I said, I do not offer this as an excuse. I am guilty of not responding to you. I offer it as an explanation. I failed you in not communicating in a timely fashion. I ask for mercy. Please forgive me. There are many rentals in the Coraline area. Moving is stressful. I pray the Lord will bless you with peace and the right landing spot for your family. That sounds good to me. How'd I do? If I were the one who emailed you and that response came from me, um, I think that would speak very powerfully to me. And um, anyway, as you read it, it's it also, sometimes people will say that and I'm like, I don't know, that sounds kind of rote or, you know, programmatic or, you know, covering your bases, but that sounds genuine to me. So I would hope I would receive it as such. Yeah, good. Well, he responded back. Okay. He did. He said, first of all, thank you so very much for your quick reply and explanation. I most definitely understand your situation, burning the candle at both ends, and accept your apology with no ill feelings, and then wishing you all the best. So what's interesting is that um, I'm bringing this up for a very particular reason, that when, um, when, when people like send communications like that to us. And that can be in person. It can be an email, a text, a voicemail, whatever. Uh, the natural inclination we have is to be defensive yeah. and to say, I didn't mean it. I'm sorry you took it that way. You don't understand. Mm -hmm. You're presuming a bad intention. Uh, and so there is a quick default towards a defensive posture well, we don't want to, here's the word, accuse ourselves. Yeah. And this is where the gift of confession comes in. Mm -hmm. The gift of the sacrament of penance and reconciliation of confession is that the, at the essence of confession, on the side of the penitent, the essential act is self-accusation. Yeah. It's accusing ourselves. And, the, and that's why it's called confession, but it's also called reconciliation because the principal act of God is to reconcile. Yeah. Okay, so it's one of the things that I have attempted to model and instill, to instill it in my kids, to teach them how to reconcile. When you're reconciling, you not only accuse yourself, but you also express contrition, and then you request reconciliation. You request mercy. Yeah. So if you heard my language, I did it, I'm sorry, please, please forgive. forgive me, yeah. right? Those are the, those are the you know, three of the essential components. I wrote a book on this, <laughs> on confession, five sentences that will heal your life. I did it, I'm sorry, forgive me, I'll make up for it, I'll never do it again. Those are the, the acts of the penitent uh, put into five sentences. Okay, so I did it, I'm sorry, forgive me. Here's the thing. That is so extraordinarily rare as a mode of communication in typical society. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is, is how he responded. He didn't say, I forgive you. He said, I accept your apology. Mm -hmm. So I didn't 
apologize. I accused myself, I expressed sorrow, and I asked for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. He didn't say, I forgive you. He didn't say, I'll show you mercy. Now, and I'm not trying to play gotcha, Mm -hmm. right? I accept your apology with no ill feelings is is a great statement. That's a really, really elevated statement. Mm -hmm. Because first of all, he was willing to go to that space. So I think he did like receive what I was saying as authentic, right? As genuine. Um, On the other hand, there is definitely a sense of, I think it is critically important for us to teach our children and Catholics that what happens in the confessional is actually extraordinarily profound when it comes to human relationships and learning how to reconcile. Yeah, yeah. Well, and um, a, a local, one of our local uh, parishioners here in the Valley, and he's a family counselor, he's a parishioner of St. Joseph's in Otis Orchard. His name's Charlie Fink, and a lot of people on this side of the state will know that name because he goes around and he gives talks at parishes, and he wrote a book called As We Forgive Those. And, um, and he, he makes that a central thesis of his point is that, you know, as a people, it's like we've, we've lost the ability or the, or the knowledge of, of how to give and receive forgiveness. And he's trying to, with this book, reteach us how forgiveness works as a process of healing, the different relationships where forgiveness needs to happen because these relationships have been wounded. And then if we're on the receiving end of someone saying, please forgive you, to actually say the words, oh, don't worry about it. Oh, I understand. He says, no, those are not, those are not addressing the issue. The issue is... I accept your apology. Uh, yeah, right? I accept your apology. The issue is that there was a wound, someone caused the wound, and they're asking now for forgiveness, so say the words. That helps with closure. Yep, I forgive you. Yeah. Yes. Well, and boy, there's so much to say there. Yeah. So on the one hand, I remember one of my favorite passages. Okay, I'm going to say it's 2853 in the Catechism. You know exactly what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. Right? Very of course good. you do. <laughs> I believe it's 2853. It's, um, it's, uh, it's the um, Catechesis on the Our Father, mm-hmm. on the Lord's Prayer. And it's on as we forgive those. And it says there, I believe it's that paragraph, that... We do not have the power not to feel or to forget when someone has offended us. Because sin is an offense. Okay, hear it again out loud. We don't have the power either not to feel, you you feel deeply when someone offends you, or to forget. It is etched in your brain. And that has such a profound impact on us. However... The Holy Spirit has the ability to purify the heart, to pure no, to purify the memory, uh, and to uh, turn hurt into intercession and injury into compassion. So all of a sudden, the one who hurts us, the Holy Spirit can transform our heart to purify that memory. Where now we no longer feel a sense of injury, but injury is turned into compassion. Like, you must be in a really bad spot to cause such suffering to me. And hurt into intercession. Okay, you've hurt me. I need to pray for you. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a work of God. Mm-hmm. That, that is a, clearly a work of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we are going to be bound up yeah. in um, a lack of reconciliation. So you have 45 seconds to respond to that, Father. <laughs> then we'll take a break, and then we'll keep talking. Well, I think on the other side of the break, I'd like to unpack this a bit more, but 
the you know the key part there that I I talk with folks a lot and counsel them is it's real it's very realistic and a needful thing for us to be able to bring ourselves to forgive or at least to want to forgive that and that healing's a process it's a forgiveness is a healing process but it's not realistic at all in fact is dangerous if we try to assume, if we presume that we'll forget about it and we try to because those memories are important um, so that we don't get wounded again in the future we have there's a story there now and this is a potential danger so there's but we've forgiven, but that doesn't mean we have to forget, and nor should we. Yeah, there's a, definitely that sense of um, a wound can create a wall where we want to isolate because we don't want to be wounded again. Yeah. All right, Father, we are up against a break. When we come back, uh, I'll continue this conversation with Father Jeff Lewis. Talking, well, right now we're talking about reconciliation and healing, and that was part of our agenda, wasn't it? It that was. It was yes, exactly what the Lord gave us. It is now. All right, it is now because of the Holy Spirit. Back in a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. I am with Father Jeff Lewis, the pastor of St. Mary's in Spokane Valley. And we are talking, well, in this part on forgiveness and how it's, uh, it's impossible for human beings to show mercy without God's grace. Yeah. How amazing, how strong is that? Like, yeah. we are people of justice. I want people to get what they deserve. Yeah. So if they've hurt me, they should get what they deserve. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the keys to being able to forgive is, in fact, you know, as we've been shown mercy, as we receive mercy, as as we experience the, uh, the encounter with the mercy shown by God manifested in Jesus Christ in the confessional, we have that consolation. We have that spiritual resurrection. We have that sense of being reconciled to God that brings that sense of peace. Then all of a sudden now we have a capacity to extend that mercy to others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another part that, you know, related to, of course, uh, the passage that you quoted from the catechism is that we are, we do not have the power not to feel and, and not to, for, and not to, or, you know, not forget. to feel and to forget. Yeah. And um, and I wanted to come back to that point because um, it's unrealistic and it's not helpful to to hope that we can just forget about this past wounds. In fact, that's how some people apologize. They just bury it. Yeah, they just bury it. Oh, yeah, that's what you're doing. You're not letting the Lord come in to heal it, to redeem it, and to let it be integrated into who you are now because of what this happened. And a great image that I think about is um, is the famous icon, Our Lady of Chestohova. Uh, or the Black Madonna, as I think she's also known. If you know the story of this particular image of Our Lady, part of her image is, is black, and hence Black Madonna, because I guess of a fire, but the icon was miraculously preserved by and large. And then also, you know, who knows how many, how long ago, but bayonet stabs to her face. You know this, you know... She, I don't know the story. I know the image. Okay, you know, know the image, yeah. I know there's a mark on yeah, her Yeah, there's face. a mark on her face from someone trying to stab it or a bayonet stabbing it, I think maybe in World War One, and then some... It's black in parts because of burns. And so, but it's not like, well, okay, that image is useless. Let's redo it. 
the Polish fo- uh, people, the faithful in Poland, have kept this as she is now because there's a history to this image now, and it tells the greater story about about you know about this and the, and the wider implications. And I think that those wounds that we receive from others, when we forgive, when we make the act, uh, the choice, and act of will to forgive. And we keep doing it because it's a healing process. And we let the Lord to redeem those wounds. Those are like the wounds of Christ. He did not completely allow himself to be healed of all those physical wounds. But why? Because they were physical proof of his extraordinary, heroic, and perfect love for us that he would suffer those wounds and he, you know, over and over again for love of us. And so if we have those wounds and we have pangs of memories of those wounds that this person caused me, but I can be reminded I've forgiven that and I forgive that person again. We can let that be a moment of grace every time that happens. And I wonder if that's part of the reason why we don't have the power to forget because God does not will it for these and you know kind of issues related to the healing that we need. Yeah, so I, I've got a couple of directions to go in there. Uh, one of them has to do with the losses that happen when we're the victims of others' sins. And when I say the loss, I mean not only the, like, this metaphor of we put up a wall and we're hiding behind it. No, there are real losses in people's personalities. I don't know how often you'll meet people and there's a sense of, my goodness, that person is so rigid. That person is so narrow. That person seems to have not a lot of, like, personal sense of spontaneity or freedom. There's a kind of clipped, harsh, kind of closed approach that, that, that they kind of bring. And it's more than just temperament, and it's more than just personality or style. Come to find out when you're like permitted to be drawn in that, no, this person was deeply wounded. This person was abused. Yeah. And, and whether it's sexually abused as a youngster or verbally abused or... Uh, physically abused, that and 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 there's been a self-protective need to shut down yeah. and to close off. Yeah. One of the greatest, bu- uh, one of the greatest wor- one of the words that I I love in understanding the concept of redemption is restoration. Mm. That the Lord in redeeming us restores to us what we have lost, and the specific aspects of restoration here are restoring a sense of verve, vibrancy, vitality, a sense of personal spontaneity, a sense of being able to laugh, a sense of having greater capacity to just enter into life without that sense of being, you know, aren't those words great? Mm -hmm. Those Mm -hmm. words are so much nicer and, and power and beautiful and expressive of flourishing than kind of a rigid, closed, narrow, uh, and the Lord wants to move us from that more restrictive way of living life as our Redeemer. He wants to unbind us and let us go free. There's mm-hmm. Lazarus. Yeah. And, and that's how often healing happens. Mm-hmm. He says he's loving us, loving us, loving us. He's, we're being unbound one strip at a time, like Lazarus being unbound after he was raised from the dead. And that's that process of healing. And the great sadness is, I'm going to say it out loud. The great majority of Catholics are walking around with tons of restoration that the Lord is ready to do that doesn't happen because they don't know 
They don't know that that's there. They don't realize what they've lost. They don't realize how shut down they've become. They don't know how to access it. They don't have anyone to accompany them along the way. All of those things. Mm-hmm. And maybe at the root of a lot of that is um, part of the wound is uh, a, a diminishment in the ability to trust that you know whoever you're having a problem trusting with, but ultimately having an inability to trust God that God can do this, that God wants to do this, that God is doing this if I would just receive it, you know, whatever this is. But I don't really believe God wants what's best for me. I don't believe God wants me to be happy. And so we just kind of settle why, into Why would that. he have let that happen to me why, if yeah, he Yeah, why would he let that happen to me if he wants me to be happy and all this? Um, and so we settle into that thinking as if that's the new norm or this is this is apparently what, you know, what it means to suffer in this life. You just got to grin and bear it. And there's a great deal of that, but... But there's so much more if we know how to how to trust in the Lord and find joy even in the sufferings, like St. Peter's was talking about. Be ready to explain the reason for your hope, even though he's talking the front end of, uh, and back end of that passage about the sufferings we're made to endure. But yeah, I wonder if a lot of it is trust. I, I don't trust that God wants me to be happy. Otherwise, why did this happen to me? You yeah. know? So how do we move from mistrust, distrust, a lack of a capacity to trust because of wounds mm-hmm. to a place that's trusting? This is what I was told by my spiritual director and what I've experienced myself. It's contemplative prayer. Mm. That in silent prayer, especially before the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, but also before Scripture or before an icon. Uh, I, I spent a year gazing upon the icon of Lazarus being raised from the dead, and it's two angels that are unbinding him. And I listened to a Taze chant, which uh, um, it was, uh, uh, We Adore You, O Lord, Adoramus Te Domine. Mm-hmm. And I just would sit quiet. I would read the scripture of John 11. I would gaze upon the icon, and I'd just be quiet in the presence of the icon. And I'd just say, Lord, unbind me and let me go free. Unbind me and let me go free. Now, what didn't I know? I didn't know the memories that I needed to be unbound from because I'd closed them off. I didn't know those aspects of my personality, of my soul, of my imagination that needed to be unknotted, right? To, 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 to be unbound, those little strips. This, the, you know, the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus, the divine physician knows how to precisely, as an incredible surgeon, get in there and just gently remove, gently remove, like the, what are the fiddle sticks? What do they call that game where you throw the sticks down? Uh, pick up sticks. Pick up sticks, yeah. you throw them down. Right, which one do you pick up next? And how do you gently pick up that next one to gently? And I got to tell you, I went from not realizing how little trust I had. And in my instance, it was, I've got to earn God's love. Hmm. I've got to perform because then I'm good enough. Then I'm affirmable. Then I'm celebratable to the Lord all of a sudden increasing my capacity to trust him. I I didn't do anything but put myself in a position where I was permitting him to unbind me and set me free. Yeah. That's uh that's amazing. Um especially when you point out a, a source of that is, you know, you pray with the Lord in his presence in the blessed sacrament. Um, using icon and music like you did, or scripture. This is something I frequently recommend to folks is if we do nothing else with our prayer life, you know, but we pray with scripture, you know, even 15 minutes a day, like that's a great place to start because that's the word of God speaking to us. And and we're trying to submit in trust that there is something there for us. And 
and speaks to us with where we are. And that little by little helps us to recognize the reality of God, the personality of God, the love of God, and therefore the freedom that God has for us uh, from that which binds us. So I believe very much in the power of adoration, of course, at St. Mary, got all kinds of adoration. And I recommend to people all the time, here's how we can pray with Scripture. And what a two-for-one deal if you do that in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Because you get Jesus in the Eucharist, Jesus in the Word, and Jesus is is our Savior and Redeemer. So there you go. And gee, don't you have confessions going on during that too? A lot of that going on too. Ta-da, let's go. You got it all. A threefer. Yeah, see, threefer. A threefer one. Nice. That's really beautiful. Well, and and I love that. I love that about uh, the way you pastor, that you you don't just say, I believe in adoration, but you, you know, you have, you put feet on your belief and it is something that you invite folks to. And and it's beautiful. People come from all over. Mm -hmm to come to adoration there on Fridays, which yeah. is really, really beautiful. And line up for confession, right? Yeah. They they need, the <laughs> need more priests, Father. We need yeah. more priests there hearing Working more confessions. So uh, when I think about um, this reality of healing, it it's a way of experiencing what um, people, uh, some people have said I really like, which is Jesus didn't just come to bring the kingdom uh, and even demonstrate the kingdom by signs and wonders and deeds of power. But the way that he interacts with our lives, he wants to make us a demonstration of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. He wants to make our lives a sign and a wonder. Mm-hmm. And brothers and sisters, I want you to hear that. The Lord can do a miracle for you. He can throw down a miracle at you. Mm-hmm. But what if he made you a miracle? Mm-hmm. What if he didn't just did a sign and a wonder, but made you a sign and a wonder where you walk around day to day with a radiant smile, mm-hmm. with a greater sense of spontaneity and freedom, with a sense of flourishing in life that, that is joyful, peaceful, and life-bringing to others. Are you willing to sign up for that? Mm-hmm. Right? I, I think we settle for less yeah. so much in thinking that the Lord doesn't want that for our lives. And folks, hear it. The Lord wants it for your lives. It's accessible to you. It's not hidden. It's not secret. It's not, you got to have a theology degree. It's not, you got to be a priest to be ordained to get access to that good stuff. No, it's available to you. So folks are hearing this Mm -hmm. and they're like, okay, I'm getting a little overwhelmed. There's the, the, the kind of healing I think I need is overwhelming and the path to get there is overwhelming. Give them a couple of accessible first steps. Well, I like where you where you started. It's making time for prayer. If we're not already doing that, we can get to what do you do with your prayer time here in just a moment, but but make time for prayer. And I use that verb intentionally, not just find time for prayer. If we're going to wait till we find time for it, we're not going to find it. But if we intentionally make time for prayer, you you Do you, you recommend first thing in the morning? No, I don't. Not not necessarily because I recommend what is your best time of the day, mm. because I see it as an act of sacrifice, and the Lord would like us to sacrifice, offer the best of ourselves. And so there are people who are morning people, and there are people who are not morning people. And I think if you're going to just by the fact, say the first thing in the morning, the non-morning people are going to not offer the best part of their day to the <laughs> Lord. <laughs> so um, I, would, I, would, I would make it as close as you can a, a, the regular same time each day. Um, and again, you know, 15 minutes is, sounds like an eternity. Um, when you get comfortable with praying regularly, it goes by in a flash. You're going to be wondering where all that time went, but to do that now, um, and then number two, um, before we get to the what of prayer, the, the next practical thing. So make time for prayer. You just got to do that. 
and then make a regular space for your prayer. Why do I recommend this? I think it's even more important than a regular time for prayer because there's something about if I go here to this space and it's always for this purpose, the human psychology, I believe, is such that we just more quickly, more readily settle into why we're here. It's like when we go to church, if we go to church and we're and we're ready to pray, we enter more, you know, it's like if you go to a movie theater, how many people, I, I raise my hand at this, genuflect before you take your seat. Well, why? Because it's very familiar to a church setting. Everyone's facing the same direction. There's rows. There's an aisle to get to my row. And I'm like, what am I doing? But muscle memory took over. Now, if I was in a church, I would just muscle memory, muscle memories, take my spot in the pew, and I'm ready to pray. There's something about the regularity of the physical space that allows prayer to happen more quickly and easily. And then the content of what to pray is the third thing I would recommend. And I go back to how do you just read the Word of God, receive it, absorb it, soak in it, these kind of things. You mentioned Father John Ricardo at the beginning. He loves talking about soaking in Scripture. Um, you know, what, what Scripture should you choose? I recommend this is an act of submission to the, to the body of Christ, which is the Church. Just go with whatever gospel passage assigned for that day. You can find it online. There's apps for this, all these things. What is the gospel passage? And just read that. Let your spiritual imagination you know, take, take, uh, take a run at it. Which character do you identify with? All the classic kind of like the Ignatian model or, or what word speaks to you, what phrase speaks to you, and why. But just one way or another, just re- pour yourself into it and let it pour itself into you. So make a time for prayer. Use the same space each day and then use scripture to pray are the three things I would recommend. That's awesome. I, I'm going to uh, build on that in just a minute. We're up against a break. When we come back, Father Lewis and I will continue talking about prayer as a place to access an oasis of healing. Ooh, how do you like that? Nice. Is that a great phrase? It's you can good, use that, Father. It's a good book title. Steal that. An oasis <laughs> of healing. All right, back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Dr. Tom Curran along with Father Jeff Lewis, and we're talking about healing connected to restoration, which traced back to requests for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're going all over the place. Yep. Accusation, restoration, healing. Nice. I love this. Nice. So, uh, so Father, uh, this, is a, this is a bit of a, a confession. Okay, a bit of a confession. So I, I'm not really a morning person, but I do pray in the morning, first thing. And I do it because it's the less... Crowded in my mind, mm, mm-hmm. so uh, I, I get so much stuff landing on me that I I'm going to be better served to choose to pray in the moment where I have the least activity crowding in. So uh, I use scripture, and the scripture I use uh, is the Liturgy of the Hours. Okay. okay, so the first prayer of the Liturgy of the Hours is Psalm 95. Psalm 95, invitatory psalm. So I do Psalm 95 and then whatever the Office of Readings is. Okay, here's my confession. I rarely get through Psalm 95 <laughs> every day. And, and the first reason is I'll be praying Psalm 95, and I turn the page from 649 to 650, and I realize, wait a minute, I wasn't very attentive. Let me go back to the beginning. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall proclaim your praise. Okay, stop. And then I'll do it again. And I swear to you, it's five or six times I turn the page, I'm going along, and I stop. And I'm like, I wasn't praying. Let me go back. Let me be focused. Every word. And and it's amazing how 
this is the second part. God's word is new. Even though the psalm is the same, God's word is new. It's a living word. And after having prayed this psalm since 1984, so 39 years, I get new insights literally every day on that same psalm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know every single word, but it's... (gasps) catch my breath, new insight. How have I not seen that before? And then thinking to myself, I've now exhausted it. There's no more insight. I now have all the insights I'm ever going to get from Psalm 95. There's just no more until the next morning. Uh-huh. And I do it again. And I'm like, oh, how did I not see that one either? So that's my third thing is that the inexhaustible well of the living word of God is such that you should expect if you really give yourself over, as you were saying, Father, give yourself over to the scriptures, be ready that there is a inexhaustible opportunity to have the Lord shine a light into our lives through his living word in us. I don't know, does that make any sense? It does. Um, I imagine a question a lot of listeners might be wondering right now is, how does that happen when it's the same scripture passage every day? And anyway, you know, some variation of this question gets asked of me a lot. Like some people will say, I don't understand how you can come up with a homily every day. I said, well, there's a different scripture every day. And even if it's the same scripture that we did two years ago or three years ago or last week, for that matter, I'm a different person than I was a week ago, a year ago, two years ago. And so it's going to speak to me in a different way because God is unchanging. I'm all, I'm changing. I'm still growing. And so I receive it in different ways. Well, and God is infinite and mm-hmm. you're finite. So your finite, I'm going to call you a, your finite mind <laughs> yeah. is not going to be able to master the infinite content of any one word of scripture. Exactly. So yeah, the inexhaustible riches that scripture offers to us. Uh, and then I'll sit quietly. So I, I surrender the fact that I rarely finish the office of readings um, any morning uh, because I am... I take the time with the scripture and I get as far as it makes sense and then I'll sit quietly Mm -hmm. and then go from there. So, um, so that's, that's the first point. Okay. I want to come back around. I'm going to go back to a way big other thread where we talked about showing mercy, restoration, learning to trust, being reconciled. You alluded to the fact that there are limits and not the limits that we will experience in our relationship with God, but rather the limits that are appropriate with regards to being brought back into restoration, having a restored relationship with someone who's hurt us. Mm. So there are ways that people betray us that they've been disqualified from being able to be brought back into an open relationship. And I think that's very important to be able to also say out loud because there are folks who are maybe victims of domestic abuse, sexual abuse, or maybe they're, you hear a lot about narcissistic personalities, and it is not your call, it is not your call, that's the standard, to put yourself in situations where I forgive, I'll restore the relationship through being reconciled, and then let the abuser keep on abusing. That is not what God wants, is it? No, not at all. And, and that's for our. That's for our. Again, I think I mentioned it earlier. That's it's. It's just prudence. It's our. It's our. It's a matter of our personal safety. Um, and the analogy that keeps coming to mind is, you know, so 
the first person who usually greets me at your home when I arrive is Alaska, your your lovable golden lab. Special. <laughs> yeah, special golden lab. And um, suppose I show up one day, and I'm I'm accustomed to to Alaska barking and, and hopping and whatever, wagging her tail. And then just out of blue, she bites my hand when I go to pet her. Suppose she does that. She's never done that, by the way, everyone. Don't worry. The current family is a safe She's family. She's never done that to anybody, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Suppose that she does. Now, I can, you know, I can forgive the dog, um, and then I'm going to treat my hand, treat the wound. But I'm going to, from that point forward, I'm going to be on my guard against the dog because I don't want to be bit again, and the dog may never bite me again. That could be just a complete anomaly, never to be repeated. But my relationship with the dog has changed now so that I'm just on my guard because I felt that wound. I don't want to be wounded again. And for that matter, I might be on my guard against every other dog moving forward. We had this really scary dog across the street when I was growing up, a Doberman Pinscher, um, which are scary-looking dogs. But it was also the goofiest dog in the world. Um, but because the dog looks scary and another Doberman pincher that another neighbor had grown up actually did bite someone, that, that kid was always afraid of that other Doberman pincher, even though the dog was the goofiest dog in the world, not mean at all, because of that wound. And so they still like dogs, but at a safe distance. They don't want to put themselves in a position where they're going to be hurt again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people might, well, how, did you really forgive if you're not giving them a chance, to give them a second chance? Well, I think second chances and forgiveness are related, but not the same. And I guess maybe it depends on the severity of the wound. A dog biting my hand that got infected might need surgery. That's a pretty serious wound. I'm not going to take my chance with the next dog. If the dog just kind of scratched me, that's quite a bit different. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So the severity of a wound that another person might give me, okay, I can forgive and we can go back to how things were in some measure. But if the wound was grievous enough to me and it was deep enough that's changed the dynamic of our relationship forever, and therefore, it's just it's just what it is. You just got to move on. You got to integrate that into the history that you now have with this person. Yeah, uh, there's a word that has definitely emerged into sort of public discourse that is connected to that trauma. Yeah. So trauma has become much more sort of visible and often discussed. Um, I think that it maybe got into the parlance after the first Gulf War. And all of a sudden, you heard um, much more commonly about PTSD, yeah. right? Post-traumatic stress disorder, and uh, that has, I think, woven its way into other manifestations of trauma. Mm-hmm. Right? So we talked about domestic abuse or sexual abuse or even emotional abuse, verbal abuse, these types of things that have a traumatizing effect. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard of the book "The Body Keeps the Score." No. Have you ever heard that? No. So it's related to the theme of trauma, and it shows how when people experience various forms of trauma, it impacts you down to the molecular level. Wow. Yeah, it actually shapes your, your actual physical being. Now, some spiritual writers will talk about this. They'll talk about the, um, the way in which a, um, a sin can become etched into your bodily, bodily memory. So that can be if I go to a certain spot where I've committed a sin or a sin happened against me, or even a time of year Mm. that comes back around, the body remembers, Mm. and it all of a sudden, you'll find yourself tempted in certain ways towards a sin that happened years ago, and it was around that same date, Mm. around that same time. It's kind of a mysterious thing, but the idea of the body keeps the score is such that 
when we think about being healed from trauma, you know, we're not healed in order to go back into abusive relationships. No, we have to love everyone, including ourselves, enough not to put them into situations where they're vulnerable to be attacked or damaged again. Yeah. So, well, Father, we're up against another break. Uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to continue this conversation. Uh, I've got more to ask you about this. Uh-huh. Back in a minute with Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sun Insight. This is Tom Curran. So, Father, we're talking about happy topics today, huh? Oh, reconciliation, (laughs) restoration, becoming a manifestation of God's kingdom. I love all of those. Uh The more challenging, like, navigation of the minefield of, like, trauma and its effects is, I think, also something that you, you wade into, not only because of your pastoral role, but because you're a priest. Mm -hmm. And what am I talking about? I'm going to talk about two things in the last section that remains. The first is the trauma. I'm going to talk about last. This I'll talk about this one last if we have time. The traumatizing effects of comprehensive sexuality education mm-hmm. on little kids. When little kids are exposed out of time, out of context, to sexual imagery, sexual questioning, discussions, uh, conversations, it strips away the peaceful development of their own sense of being a sexual being and it has traumatizing effects Mm -hmm. that will wound and lead to these urges growing in them that are horrific Mm -hmm. and we as a church must stand up with courage and push back against a vile policy that is cleverly seductively presented as somehow protecting kids from uh, hurting themselves because of a, of a gender dysphoria they're experiencing or that gets fostered in them. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's sick and it's demonic. How do I really feel? Yeah. So there's right. the second topic. Uh-huh. Let's talk about the first one. And this has to do with something that many, not many, there are a number of Catholics who carry some trauma in them because of abuse, sadly, by priests. And now they are going to be seeking healing and restoration. They're going to be seeking a path forward and a path out. Mm -hmm. But the one that they're going to be approaching is a priest. Mm -hmm. Not their perpetrator, but still a priest. Not the one that preyed upon them and took advantage of So do you have any wisdom or insight or guidance around how the church, how you've seen the church healthfully uh, invite people forward to experience an unbinding and setting free from the traumatizing effects of their being abused. Yeah, a couple of thoughts. You know, the scenario you just set up is uh, something that um, very closely I've been kind of dealing with in the last couple of years, a particular person. Um, and um, a couple of thoughts for, for priests to recognize that when we're dealing with folks who have this trauma, that we, are, we must tread extremely carefully on, you know, as Father Timothy Gallagher would say, on sacred ground, because it is. 
um, objectively, we may think that's, you know, you got to approach the priest as a, as a, in persona Christi, but you got to think from their point of view that that relationship has been shattered and maybe their relationship with Jesus is shattered because of it. Because if, especially if they knew that they had an upbringing in the church, that the priest is alter Christus, the other Christ and, and should be respected as such. And it was the priest who abused them. You know, that has such incredible impact on their relationship with Jesus. So for priests, you know, we're treading on sacred ground. That's how I've approached it. And then, um, for other folks, if we know someone who's been a victim of, you know, of abuse and is maybe seeking healing, knows that they need healing through, you know, through the church, or whatever, to accompany them. So a person I'm thinking of in particular was accompanied by a, a, a friend who also, who knew me, introduced this person to me, and then was with us the first couple of times we met to facilitate an introduction. And I tried to approach that um, of course, with very gentle, you know, uh, sacred ground, just getting to know this person on that gentle human level so that when this person felt ready to to meet individually, um, we were ready to proceed. And um, and I, th- it's, it's a long road to hoe. Um, we're nowhere near the end. There's been lots of players involved trying to help help this, this person receive healing in all varieties of ways, but... Accompaniment is huge by someone who knows them and their story. And then for priests listening to just, you got to handle it with extreme kids gloves. This is, you know, eggshells, you're walking on sacred ground because, I mean, one one wrong move. It's like someone who was bit by a dog, approaching a dog. The dog can make sudden, sudden move. That person's triggered all over again. All those past memories of past wounds by that dog, just like that, all that progress has been, has been undone. So we got to tread carefully. Yeah. It has... It has been one of the like sort of painful parts of my serving the church in the past 35, you know, 30, since 1989, however many years, 34 years. So to see that the church at times takes a, an approach that focuses more on protecting the assets of the church yeah. and protecting the perpetrators rather than being... Uh, fully expressive of whatever we can do to bring about healing, we're going to lead with that as our concern. Mm-hmm. And that itself can also be triggering a further trauma. Mm-hmm. And there's something called secondary trauma. Have you heard of that? I have. So secondary trauma is the trauma that folks experience who are living with someone who's experienced the primary trauma. Yeah. It, it actually impacts the whole family system. Mm-hmm. And so learning about the way in which family families have to relate to and um, make adjustments for and learn to live well with the one who has been more seriously traumatized. And what often happens is when that's not done well, it shuts down more of the verve, the life, the vitality, the freedom of the family. Yeah. The, the entire family system and, and individuals become more containerized and consti- and and there's a kind of shutting down and okay that behavior that's explosive is just some, something that we ignore and 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 it's like oh my goodness we we have got to do a better job mm-hmm. at leading with an oasis of healing mm-hmm. come and be refreshed come it's safe you will be received and you're acceptable it's and then the other part is that it's just one instance of of traumatic abuse can just create this trajectory for their lives that is 
so destructive. Yeah. It can literally uh, lead to ruinous effects, yeah. addictive relationships, abusive, addictive uh, behaviors in their own lives, and often suicidal tendencies and self-harming tendencies and even ending their lives because of that. It's mm-hmm. like, this has to be a burning concern for us. Yeah, it should. And, and, um, and how to deal with that. You know, I don't know what the story is, but it seems like you know, as, a, as a race, as a culture, we're so hesitant to want to just face it head on, maybe because it's been pounded into our head to, you know, to let people live their own truth, whatever that means. But you know, how, how, how dare I presume to step forward to try to help this person because who am I? You know, all, whatever, the, whatever the language may be, but there's a, hesitance, a hesitation there to do that. And, but, I mean, what happens if you don't do that? A new normal for that person been traumatized is setting in. This is my new normal and, 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 and live according, but it's, it's, a, it's a broken normal. It's like, well, okay, if he didn't set the broken leg right and it heals improperly, that person's going to have a limp and pain the rest of their life. But if you dealt with it correctly the first time right away, that may not have happened, you know? Um, there's just this, and it's not just a church thing. I think it's a societal thing. We just have a hesitation, want to tackle this and genuinely authentically want to, uh, uh, to help someone with their wounds and their trauma. And the source of all the healing, of course, to bring them to Jesus. And of course, we got such a religiously fractured culture that we dare not do that. And so we kind of painted ourselves in a corner with how we've set ourselves up as a culture. Okay, so to end on a low note, yeah. that's even worse and even demonic, we have now what is what I've seen described, heard described by professionals that, um, like pro, uh, law enforcement professionals and other professionals who have gone after um, sexual predators, right, pedophilia, uh, pedophiles, is they look at the things like the... Uh, comprehensive sexuality education and other transgender ideological expressions like these book club stuff, uh, these uh, events that happen. And they're saying, I've spent my entire career like, tracking pedophiles. Yeah. And I, I, I'm telling you, this has all the marks of predatory behavior, all the marks of grooming behavior. Mm-hmm. If you let your kids be exposed to this, if you let your kids come under the influence of this, these kids are being groomed and they it's predatory behavior that is going to wound and it is going to disturb their own sexual well-being mm-hmm. and if your kids are going through that that's what you should expect to happen yeah. how shocking is that yeah and yet again you talk about it's cleverly seductively pervasively and even with uh with threats presented in our media god bless you if you were to come out against it mm-hmm. So I was helping a couple of my kids in last minute, last last thing, fill out their FAFSA, their federal uh, like student aid, and uh, their first questions are: Are you male, female, non-binary, or other? Mm. And then the next question was: Are you transgender? I'm like, what? The federal forms from the you know Department of Education have so have been so structurally impacted that that's what they put on their forms. Talk about sowing seeds yeah. in kids and in our wider society that this is the path we're going down. It's demonic, folks, yeah. and it must be withstood. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go, Father. You got 30 seconds to end on a let's bring us up to resurrection, please. Sure. Well, we here we are recording this and it's being broadcast in the month of June, which is a great month in honor of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the source and 
source of all graces and the source of all uh, perfected divine love for each of us. So find a prayer resource that helps you to connect with Jesus, particularly his humanity through the sacred heart, and let the graces of his pierced heart for love of you uh, just uh, fill you with the joy and grace and all good things. So Amen. the sacred heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. Yes, please, sacred heart of Jesus, receive us, receive our world, your world, into your heart, and just let your precious blood wash over us and just protect the little ones, Lord. Amen. Well, Father Lewis, thank you so much for being with me today. God bless you all, uh, listeners. Uh, join me tomorrow for more sound insight. And if you want to sign up for the podcast or the YouTube channel or Facebook page, go to mycatholicfaith.org, mycatholicfaith.org. You can get more information there. God bless you all.